are listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 5, 1 through 11 on the Pew Bible, page 836. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Thanks, Luann. So good morning again, everyone. Um, Another health update, because a lot of people have been asking. So um, for those of you who don't know, I had bronchitis that I was fighting for like a month, and I am off the inhaler now, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I guess you don't have to clap for that. I'm clapping because I'm happy. <clears throat> um, but I feel a lot better. Uh, in previous weeks, it was like, I feel pretty good. But now I'm actually at the point where it's like, oh, this is what being healthy actually feels like. So, uh, and my voice, my voice still struggles a bit. So I apologize if it's a little scratchy. Um, but I guess until I finally rest it and stop talking, it's probably not going to get much better. Um, <clears throat> so we are looking at a pretty classic Bible story this morning. Uh, If you've been around the church for a while, or like if you've ever seen a Jesus movie, uh, this is always one of the early scenes, Jesus calling the first disciples. So Jesus goes out to these fishermen who have just had this long night of fishing with nothing to show for it, and he performs this pretty dramatic miracle. He tells them to pull back into the lake, to cast their nets again, And this time, they bring in a catch so big, it almost sinks their ship. Then Simon Peter, the head of this fishing operation, falls at Jesus' feet, declares his unworthiness, and Jesus responds by telling him not to be afraid. And then he invites him to follow him. And we get that, that famous line, I will make you fishers of men, or from now on, you'll be fishing for people. 
This story is often looked at as an evangelistic text, a text about sharing your faith with others, which we should probably acknowledge up front is not exactly what's going on here, right? Uh, There's no conversion in this story. Peter, James, and John, they're already Jewish. They're already part of Jesus's religion. Um, And yet there's still this call to follow Jesus. The fishermen leave everything behind. And there's that line about fishing for people, all of which probably brings to mind evangelism. And if we're honest, evangelism is a topic that makes a lot of us very uncomfortable. For some Christians, sharing the faith is like as natural as breathing. It's just what you do. But for many more, it is a terrifying proposition that takes us way out of our comfort zone. About two weeks ago, this new study came out um, about the kind of the state of the church in America, and there's this one finding in particular that has been blowing up the internet for the last two weeks. A lot of people are up in arms over this statistic. According to this study, 47% of practicing millennial Christians, that's my people, okay, 47% of practicing millennial Christians believe that evangelism is immoral. We're talking half of all Christians in America between the ages of 20 and 35 think that it's wrong to share your faith. Now, that probably shocks some of you. That uh, probably troubles a few of you. Some of you might be right in line with that statistic. Some of you might agree that evangelism, as it's often expressed in our culture, is pretty problematic. But before we rush to judgment on that statistic, one way or the other, I think it's important to reflect on what lies behind a figure like that. We could talk about the history of missionary activity in the world and some of the dark parts. We could look at how oftentimes Christian missionaries would work hand-in-hand with the colonial powers in Europe and in America to exploit the lands and the peoples of places like Africa, Asia, Latin America. We could get into that. We could talk about how for many people groups, for many tribes and cultures in those parts of the world, receiving the gospel was the first part of a much larger colonial process that led to the destruction of their culture. We could get into all that. But much closer to home for all of us, I think we should talk about our own experiences with evangelism. How oftentimes evangelistic conversations feel forced and really unnatural. Sharing your faith can be this really awkward thing where you think you have to convince this person to think like you do and believe like you do in order to be in the club. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of this, If anyone has ever tried to convert you to their religion, to some other religion, you've seen how awkward this process can be from both sides. My family and I, we moved to town uh, back in this past summer, and about a month or so after we moved into our house, we were visited by a group of Mormons. Now, I know a lot of you Oh yeah, there they are. (laughs) That wasn't the one who visited us. That's, That's from a Broadway show. 
Now, I know a lot of you probably do that thing when Mormons knock at your door where, like, you know, you turn off the lights, you turn off the TV, you pretend you're not home. Does anyone want to confess? <laughs> a few of you? You do know they know you're there, right? Like, it's, it's a real obvious sign when the lights turn off. But see, not me. <clears throat> I'm wired a little bit differently. For me, it's a lot more exciting. When the Mormons show up, it's like, ooh, I don't know what's going to happen for the next 20 minutes, but this is going to be interesting. <clears throat> and so I invited the Mormon missionaries into my house, like you do. It was three uh, very young men, clean-cut, athletic build, the kind of people you'd want representing your religion, I think. And we got to talking. I told them about myself. I told them what I do for a living. We shared stories. I asked about them. But it became evident really quick that they were not there to chit-chat. They were not interested in getting to know me. They weren't here to meet the new neighbor. They wanted a conversion. And so every couple minutes during our conversation, one of them would start the sales pitch. Did you know you can be part of the true church? You seem like a very religious man, Reverend Brockway. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <clears throat> Are you aware that there's another testament of Jesus Christ? If you've ever been there, if you've ever had someone try to convert you, whether it be a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Muslim, anything like that, you know how awkward it feels because it's obvious what's going on. You've had that moment of realization where it's like, oh, I see what's happening here. This person isn't interested in me. They just want a conversion. It feels really dehumanizing, and it is super inauthentic. And let me just say, and I think I can speak for my whole generation here, there is nothing millennials hate more than a lack of authenticity. So if that's what we're talking about when we talk about evangelism, then yeah, I can understand half of all millennial Christians not being on board with that. And we've got to acknowledge even our passage for today, this notion of fishing for people, that kind of feels dehumanizing if we're honest about it. Like if someone asks you to go out and help them catch people, you should probably call the authorities. It's not a normal thing. <clears throat> but here's the good news about this. Jesus never said, I will make you fishers of men. That is a terrible translation. We have King James to thank for that one, not so much Jesus. The word Jesus uses here that gets translated fish, to go fishing, is zogron. Let me hear you all say zogron. Zogron. It sounds like a transformer. Very good. Um, it's a very powerful word, but some history behind that word. The first syllable, zo, comes from the Greek word zoe, or zoe, if you know the name zoe comes from that. Zoe means life. So the root of this word is life. And if we translate Zogron like super literally, it means to save alive or to save for life. Now the word could be translated catch as in saving something while keeping it alive. Um, it could also be, it could also mean to captivate the way Jesus would like captivate an audience. And you could also say rescue, which I kind of like that translation. 
enough with the fishing. I'm going to make you into lifeguards. It's time to go rescue some people. I also want to point out that zogron is not a word you would ever use with animals. It doesn't mean to like fish or to catch or to hunt animals. Zogron is only used to describe people. So, in the original context, this word, what Jesus says, would not have been dehumanizing in the slightest, which is interesting. And in fact, as I read through this passage, I think this could really shift our approach to evangelism in a much more human direction. If this was the model of sharing our faith, I think that might actually be a much better way to go about it. So let's look at this passage a bit more closely, draw out some of the contrasts, some of the things Jesus does differently here when compared with modern approaches to evangelism, and let's see if we can't glean some wisdom off this. The first thing to note, and I mentioned this at the outset of the sermon, Jesus is not out looking for converts. The call is to discipleship, not conversion. Jesus is working among his own people, people who already belong to his religion, and he's inviting them to follow him, to become his disciples. Now, the mission of the church would eventually expand beyond Judaism as the disciples would take the message of Jesus to new people. But notice that even when Jesus gives the Great Commission, that's the famous scene at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where he tells the disciples to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, He doesn't say anything about conversion. He talks about discipleship. This will be on the screen. Reading from the Gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth, and this is Jesus' closing words to his disciples, it's important. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Before we venture to share our faith and try to make someone else a disciple, we should probably ask whether or not we have responded to the call to discipleship. Because just because you're here, just because you're in the Christian club, does not necessarily mean you're a disciple. Let me unpack that a little bit. A disciple is a student. It's someone who's dedicated to following the way of Jesus and actually modeling their life around the life and teachings of Jesus. And in churches, and I think this is true with most churches, there are a ton of converts out there. But most churches are pretty severely lacking in disciples. For some, converting to Christianity is really more about fire insurance. That's one way to talk about it. The way the gospel is often presented, everything hinges on this idea that if you die without knowing Jesus, you go to hell. And so we accept Jesus, we we become Christians, not so much out of a desire to follow Jesus, but because we don't want to go to hell. (laughs) We want to go to the other place when we die. And see, that might all be true and accurate, and I don't want anyone to go to hell, to make that clear. But becoming a Christian out of fear of hell 
is kind of like working just hard enough at your job to not get fired. It's a good way to get conversions. It is not a very effective way to make disciples. Other people become Christians because it's like a family thing. Maybe your parents were Christians, you were raised in the faith, and you just hit this point where, like, becoming a Christian, making it official, owning it for yourself was just the thing to do. Maybe your spouse is a Christian, and so you feel like you should be part of this religion too. And I just want to say that is all really good, important stuff. But even that is not really entering into discipleship. That's not turning to Jesus out of a desire to follow him and be like him. These fishermen, they leave everything behind. They walk away from the biggest catch of their lives to become disciples of a homeless, itinerant preacher. That is way more radical than converting to a new religion. So I think the first thing we have to do drawing out the contrast here with this passage, is ask the question, am I a disciple or am I a convert? And are we after conversions? Or has our life been so transformed by following Jesus that we want to share that with others and welcome other people into the path of discipleship? Jesus is after disciples. That's a key difference. A second difference here, though, and this one's pretty big. Uh, Jesus already has an established relationship with these people. This is huge, and this is super easy to miss. So if you, like, page back in the Bible to the chapter before this, Luke 4, you'll see that Jesus already knows Simon. This is not their first interaction. Jesus has been to this guy's house. He's healed Simon's mother-in-law, which could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the the family dynamics there, let's face it. Um, The point, though, is that this is not Jesus walking up to a total stranger with a pamphlet that will change their lives. Jesus is out doing his thing, doing what he does. He's at work. He's teaching the crowds. And then he runs into his buddy Simon, who has just had a really rough night at his job. And needing a place to stand so that he can address the crowds more effectively Jesus asks Simon for a favor. Hey, man, would you mind if I teach from your boat? Like, if you pull out a little bit, it'd be a lot easier for me to kind of see everybody and for people to hear me. This is some really ordinary, everyday stuff. There's nothing forced or rehearsed here. This story starts with Jesus asking for a favor, and it ends with Simon and his friends leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. If you want to make disciples, you should start with the people you actually know. Start in the minutiae of everyday life. There are people in the church who are called to be missionaries, to go off to faraway places and spread the gospel to total strangers, but there are plenty of people right here in Brockport that we see every day and interact with who could use the healing power of the gospel in their lives. Do you have friends, co-workers, family members, neighbors, who don't have a center in their life? People who are searching, who are hurting, 
who are hungry, who are getting beaten down by this thing called life, and maybe crying out for rescue. If there's a relationship there, you're already in it with them, hopefully. You're already walking with them, listening to them, having tough conversations, talking to them about the important stuff. That's what it's about. And then be open when they ask to tell them about Jesus. Tell them what it is that makes you different. Tell them what your center looks like. Don't give them a sales pitch. Don't start a theological debate to try to make them think like you. Just be a Christian in public and be open to telling other people about the Lord you serve. Now, I cheat at this a bit because I'm a pastor, so that makes it really, really easy. It also helps that I have tattoos of Jesus kind of everywhere. But wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, the topic almost always turns to religion, to what I do. And when people find out you're a pastor, or when they find out you're a Christian, when they find out what you do on your Sunday mornings, they're going to ask why. What's a young guy like you doing as a pastor? Isn't that kind of like an old person thing? Why would you wake up early on a Sunday morning and come to church of all places? Don't dismiss those questions. Answer them. And maybe, just maybe, you will tap into something those people are searching for. So that's a second difference. One last difference I want to point out between Jesus' approach and the modern approaches to evangelism that we all probably know. Jesus throws the formula right out the window. A lot of what passes for evangelism today is very formulaic. It's very rehearsed. It's like three points you memorize and just repeat. And can I just point out, people can see through that. People know if you're reciting steps that you've memorized, they can tell. Uh, One form of this sort of thing I've seen, it's going to be on the screen, it looks something like this. Um, Admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for your sins, choose to accept his gift of salvation. ABC, that's called the ABCs of salvation. And it's accurate. There are a lot of other forms of this, Romans, Road, the Four Spiritual Laws, all these formulas for explaining the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with these as far as they go. But they are so formulaic. And they take a faith that is big and complex and a path of following Jesus that is actually really challenging and hard, and they make it sound simple and easy. When if you're in it, it's not that simple. These evangelistic formulas, they usually start with having to convince the person you're talking to that they're a sinner. Then you point to the good news of God's saving work in Jesus, and then you invite the person to follow. Step one, step two, step three. Jesus turns this whole approach completely on its head, if you notice what he does in this passage. Jesus begins with a dramatic display of God's power. And he's not pointing to something that was done thousands of years ago. He displays the power of God right there in the boat, in the daily lives of these fishermen. 
And then, so now we're kind of taking the first step and like flipping it, when they're confronted by this powerful display of God's presence, Simon Peter bows to the ground and begs Jesus to leave. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. If you know the formula, that's backwards. You've got to convince the person that they're a sinner first, then show them how God is active in their life. But that's not what Jesus does here. Peter already knows he's a sinner. Jesus comes in with the word of comfort. Don't be afraid. I found it true for the most part that people don't need to be convinced that they're imperfect. Most people know that. Most people know that they're broken. They know that they screw up all the time. Most people are covering, or sorry, are carrying deep guilt and shame in their lives. But don't be afraid. That's a message people need to hear. That's something people don't know because it's terrifying out there. People are starving to hear that there is a God who loves them and invites them into community. So maybe ditch the formula. Don't enter in with a sales pitch. Instead, try doing what Jesus does. You don't have to produce a miraculous catch of fish, (laughs) but you could start by bearing witness to God's activity in everyday life. And then when people are confronted by God's activity and react in terror, you could bring a word of comfort. Don't be afraid and invite them to follow. That is worlds removed from the ABCs of salvation. But that's what Jesus does in this story. And it worked out pretty well for him. So my hope for you all is that we will answer the call to discipleship in our own lives. And then may you learn to bear witness to the presence of God in the lives of people you know. And finally, may you be empowered to share your faith with those who are searching for a word of comfort. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.